0: Good morning. Good morning, you know there's more of you here it seems like every week something's happening this is great we're so excited to see you have you ever heard people say that there's no such thing as a stupid question yeah you think that's true you think there's no such thing as a stupid question I disagree I want to, I found a bunch of stupid questions in fact, his website's devoted to collecting such things. Here's just a sample. My brother and I are identical twins, and one time a girl asked if we get each other confused. <laughs> See what I mean? There was this back-and-forth conversation between a customer and an employee at AT&T. The customer was handed his bill, <clears throat> and he looked at it and said, what's this? And the employee said, well, that's, that's your bill. And the customer said, well, I already paid it. Well, the employee said, well, that's fine. Don't worry about it then. But then the customer said, no, I paid it last month. And then the employee said, well, this is your second month's bill. To which the customer actually said, you mean they keep sending these things every month? (laughs) That was not in Kentucky, I promise. (laughs) Then there was the waiter who was asked what kind of meat was in the beef taco salad. (laughs) The waiter said, Beef. The customer said, "No, no. I mean pork or chicken." Okay. A priest was once asked what day of the week Good Friday was on. And then there's some others that I found. Uh, can I safely look at a picture of the sun? Was the movie Hunger Games based on a true story? How can I be sure I'm the real mom of my kid? That that troubles mothers everywhere. What happens if you paint your teeth white with nail polish? And here's my favorite one. If I were to eat myself, would I become twice as big or just disappear altogether? <laughs> See, the truth is, dumb, dumb questions really do exist. And our focus, though, in our series is not, not just the smart ones, but the life-changing questions. The questions that once you, once you settle them in your heart and life, then there's going to be some movement of you and your heart towards God in a closer relationship. Those are the questions that we're asking, and especially as we're leading up to Easter, which is coming here real soon. We've been looking at four questions that Jesus asked that were meant to be life-changing. They were intended to be life-altering in so many special ways, and they've been preserved for us here in the Bible. And we want to take a look at the next one in our series. The first one Jesus asked about, he asked a man who'd been a paraplegic. He'd been handicapped for 38 years and was stuck by the, this pool over in Jerusalem. And he asked Jesus asked him an odd question. He said, do you want to get well? And it was a question that, that ran deeper than just this man's physical problems. It had to do with whether he could do what it takes to the, get to the next step of wellness, both physically and spiritually. You know, we, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. Last week we had a question that was just as profound. Here the scene was Jesus walking on the water, and he invites one of the disciples to join him. The disciples are in the boat, and here's Jesus doing something physically you cannot do. And he asked them to join him, and, and all of them remained in the boat except Peter. You know, Peter was the one that was impetuous and everything. And when he heard Peter asking that question, uh, and he, and, but then when he did walk on the water just for a moment, but then his faith faltered. When Jesus got back in the boat, he asked the whole group a question. He said, why did you doubt me? Why did you, doubt, why did you let fear keep you from the life I've called you to enjoy? And then today we come to our third life-changing question. And like the others, this one's got a a, a great deal of depth to it, and and I want you to listen carefully today because this one may have more to do with what you do with your life going forward. You know, some questions are life-changing, and they're designed to be, especially when they come from Jesus. So what question would Jesus Speak out with that kind of impact. Well, let's take a look. We're we're back to the scriptures again, talking about a guy named Simon. Now, Simon and Peter were the same. Simon was his Jewish name, and Peter was the the Greek name he was given. It comes from a word, Petros, which means rock. Now, for those of you that think I'm talking about the rock, especially the women, it ain't going to happen today, okay? My wife really, really likes the rock. And that's why I didn't mention this in the first service, because she was here. So, and she never watches the second one, so I'm in good shape. If you guys keep my secret, I don't care for the rock, myself personally. But uh, anyway, today's question I was asked of Simon. He spent three years with Jesus Christ, by his side, faithful disciple, listening and learning, witnessing miracles, and watching every move that Jesus made. Three years. And Jesus was rather impressed with Simon. He gave him the new name, I said. Now your name's going to be Peter. And he says, uh, you know, I'm, like you said, I'm confident. He was kind of encouraging. I can confidently build my kingdom on you. You're solid as a rock. And you can just picture Peter just kind of chest swelling out. You know, He's so proud of that. But then came that fateful night Jesus pulled Peter off to the side and told him exactly what was going to happen, that he was about to be betrayed. He was going to be turned over to the Jewish authorities. They were going to ultimately crucify him. But in three days, he told Peter, he would rise again. And he cautioned him. He said, now, you you take heart, Peter. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose faith over the events you're about to see here in, in in the next few days. But he said... You hold strong to the course. Others would depend on his leadership. Others needed his courage and his strength. And of course, Peter, you know, like any one of us probably would do, he just looked Jesus in the eye and said, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. You can count on me. I would lay down my life for you, he said. But then Jesus looked into Peter's eyes and his soul, and he says, what have I told you? That before the rooster comes, before the dawn comes and the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny that you even know who I am. Three different times. I don't know, if I was a disciple of Jesus and I'd just kind of been built up and one, and then he asks this question, he tells this thing about me, and it's not good. It would be discouraging. Peter was stunned. And I can imagine that deep down within he's kind of impetuous, you know, get her done kind of guy. In his heart, I think, he's, I'm not, that's not going to happen. He's thinking, I'm going to show Jesus how faithful I can be. But what followed in a landslide of events, one after another, Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested, he was taken into the, to the authorities and captured and and we're going to pick up the narrative now in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and then 21. The two go together. We'll, we'll talk about one first and then get the other. John 18, 15 tells us, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, the other guy was John. When John's writing this Gospel, he refers to himself not in the, in the first person. He's just like the other guys. I don't know whether he was humble or what, but but uh, at any rate, you know, he was not... Uh, you know, something he just boasted about or whatever. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside of the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the girl on duty there and then brought Peter in. And verse 17 says, You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. And he replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. And Verse 25 tells us, as Simon Peter stood there warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And once again, he denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Now that happened back in the garden. Remember, there were soldiers there. Peter was impetuous, and they were trying to arrest Jesus, and he jumped up with his sword and whacked off the uh, ear of this guy that was there. And uh, one of the high priest's servants, who was a relative of this man, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive trees, in the olive grove? And the third time, Peter denied it. And at that very moment, the rooster began to crow. Now, folks, no matter what you may have done in your life, maybe have experienced the upside and downside of it all, I, I cannot imagine a more totally complete failure. He was just absolutely a breakdown spirit. Every single thing in Peter's life had been, that he'd been about and all, this, all the things he'd seen and the, the hours he'd spent with Jesus. But in this crucial moment, he renounced not just once, but three times that he even knew who Jesus was. Not much of a rock, huh? I mean, have you ever done something that you knew was wrong, knew you shouldn't have done it, even vowed you wouldn't do it, and then you did it? It's one of the sickest feelings and emotions in all human existence, and Peter felt this. He had totally and utterly messed up, and he knew it. And soon, everything else that Jesus said would happen began to happen also. Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, the stone was said to be rolled away. They found it rolled away. The body was gone. And people began to report that Jesus was not dead. He had been seen alive and well. Now, put yourself back in Peter's position. Where does that leave you right now? What would happen if he saw Jesus now, face to face? I mean, he knew exactly what he deserved. He was ashamed. He was discouraged. He felt terrible about himself. He knew he deserved to be totally cast aside. But he also knew, at least he longed for and hoped for, that he could be forgiven. That there'd be a second opportunity, a second chance for him. But then he had to think, you know how we are. We get down on ourselves. We could, well, There's just no way. God could never forgive me of that sin. God would never, he didn't need me anymore. I could, how could I ever atone for this? You know, Peter had denied the Lord three times. Over and over again. So what did Peter do? Well, he did what a lot of us do. When you really mess up royally, you kind of, you know, you feel like you burned all your bridges. And so he You go someplace else. You go back maybe to where things used to be. According to the Bible, Peter went back to doing what he'd been doing before he'd ever met Jesus. He was fishing. I mean, that was his profession. Remember the situation we read about in the scripture. You know, a day of lousy fishing took place. And there was Peter mending his nets. Here comes Jesus walking up to him. This was back in the past. He said, how's the fishing? And Peter said, well, not too hot. And then Jesus said, well, take me out with you. Let's go. And Now, he'd been doing this all day, and he was tired. And here's this religious guy that's going to want to get him out in the boat and probably give him a tract or something and try to encourage him. But that was not, in Peter's mind, the time to go back in the water. But he humored this guy, got in the water, and this strange rabbi said, throw your nets on this side. And he did. And immediately, the entire net was so full that he couldn't even get it, get it up to the shore. And his first reaction, remember the text, he was terrified. He was so, this was so far out of his comprehension. He could not imagine this. He said, go away from me. You have no idea what kind of man. Remember this conversation he had? Peter knew his frailty and his shortcoming. He understood himself really, really well. You know, just like we do. We know our weaknesses. We know our strengths. But in that moment of not being able to make sense of any of this, Peter recognized he was in the presence of someone that was far beyond a mere human. And while it was true, Peter, like all of us, still sinned. Jesus didn't go away. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I want you to follow me. He, uh, he didn't just reject him alone. He wanted him to go with him, and Peter did, shocking everybody who knew him. Now you've got to fast forward now back into what we were just talking in our text today. Peter had abandoned Jesus, believing that Jesus would never want anything else to do with him. So what did he do? He went back to what he knew, he went back to fishing. And some other disciples also went along with him, probably hoping that they could kind of bring him back to his senses. I'm sure they were aware of some of what was happening. But verse 20, uh, John 21, verses 4 and 9, to pick up the narrative there. Early in the morning, I remember the original fishing area back in around Galilee. In the early morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him for whatever reason. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, now think about this. This is the exact same scenario that happened three years before. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. And made his way back to shore. The other disciples followed in the boat. Towing a net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore. About a hundred yards. And when they landed. There was a fire burning. Coals were there with fish on it. And some bread. Now don't, don't miss this. This is a crucial point. It was, it was an almost exact repeat. Of the first time. That Jesus and Peter had ever met. Peter out fishing, not catching anything. And here comes this stranger, and this says, well, try the other side. And so miraculously, the net's full, and you have to wonder in that moment, don't you, what was Peter thinking? It was a rerun in so many ways, and yet a lot had happened since the first account with Jesus. Could it be that Jesus was saying to Peter that there could be a, a second new beginning? The Lord had already reached out and touched his life once. Could Jesus want anything to do with him now that he'd failed so miserably? Have you ever been to that spot in your life? Cruising along, kind of thinking that you and the Lord are okay, and then comes a crucial moment. A situation or circumstance where you have a great opportunity to bear witness for your faith. To kind of give Jesus a good plug, you know, with your friends or co-workers. And you just flat don't do it. The most vivid thing imaginable in Peter's mind was his failure. So, they finished eating, verse 15 says, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Then Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. He he uses this this tender gesture of responsibility, giving Peter an opportunity to begin to get a clue here. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, well, then you need to take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then he said to him again, those two words, and follow me. Now, now that, that's One amazing conversation given the context we've laid out here. In fact, if you and I decide to follow Jesus, we are staking our eternity on that conversation that he had with Peter. And the hope, that there's hope for us, for a sin-stained, messed up bunch of people. There's hope. We can screw up a thousand times and we desperately need Jesus to give us another opportunity. Do you notice how Jesus addressed Peter? He didn't call him Peter, that word that meant rock. He'd been anything but a rock in the last few days. He went back to his his name, Simon, son of John. It was more formal. It was solemn. Jesus is pretty serious here with him. And what was it that was so serious to Jesus in this moment? And by the way, it's still serious to Jesus in this moment. Four words. It's our question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Interesting question. You know what you, you didn't say to Peter? He didn't say, what were you thinking? Yeah. He didn't say, I, I, aren't you sorry for what you did? Yeah. He didn't say, now, now you need to promise me that this will never happen again and we're not we're not going to be in a relationship. Yeah. No. All he did, he asked him, do you love me? Such a simple but yet profound question. I mean, what was it that you would have expected Jesus to ask him? Is it the kind of thing you'd expect Jesus to ask you in your context? That the thing that would most burn in his heart towards you, even after you have an epic failure, would be simply, you know, do you love me? Can you hear what Jesus is after? He's saying to Peter, you know, before we even talk about what happened, before we even talk about how you've been living, Peter, do you really want to be in a relationship with me? And friends, you see, God loves us no matter how much failure we bring to the table. Do you understand that? You understand why we have a little sign over the door back there that said, no perfect people allowed here? I don't know how many people take that seriously, but well, I tell you, maybe one or two people who think they're perfect here, but we're waiting for Jesus to let them know it's not our place. We just, we just listen to what he asks us, and, then, and it's a simple question. Do you want to be in relationship? No matter how much trouble we've been in, no matter how much of a, a, a lousy witness we have been how much we're much more concerned about what people think of us than what they think about Jesus living through us. His biggest concern, no matter what you've done with your life, is do you want to be in relationship? He says, I love you. That's not going to change. So Jesus is wanting Peter, and by the way, all of us. These are timeless truths. It's not, not just for the first century. It's for now. He wants us to know, and this is so crucial, that God is not only the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and the 104th chance. How we miss this. God wants to forgive. God's heart is built towards forgiveness. He wants to restore us. He wants us to be close to him And He wants us to accept Him and He wants to accept us. Beginning right where we are. We don't have to get our act together for Jesus to want to embrace and hold us and love us. Isn't that encouraging? You know how hard that would be to get our act together? I don't even want to think about it. But that's not the way God operates. And if you want to be close to God... That's the question he's asking. That's why he went to Peter. He went, chased him down, and he's chasing you and me now, and he wants us to come to him, and he offers us the same thing. To come to him in whatever condition. Failure, let people down, let God down. Don't even like ourselves maybe at the moment because we don't do what we ought to do. And God said, come to me. Jesus said, I'll give you a new life. There's nothing right right now in your life but death and disease and darkness. But God wants to forgive us, to restore us. And don't miss this. There's only one reason why anyone would want to turn from sin. There's only one reason, really. It's because they love God. It's because they love the one that gave them life. It's the only reason. This is why Peter asked, was asked the same question by Jesus three times. Do you love me? Peter, are you sure? Do you really love me? Peter, one more time. Do you love me? And he asked him because three times Jesus had failed that question. But now, around a different fire, though very similar, Jesus asked Peter to do the opposite. And he wanted to make sure that Peter recognized the connection so how did, he, how, did he, uh, he, how did he answer? That's what's neat. He changed his answer. He didn't say, of course I love you. I mean, I told you that three times now. No, he said, Jesus, we both know what I did. But you know my heart. You know I love you. And how did Jesus respond? He said, if you love me, in a sense, what are you doing out here? You know, get back in the game. Get back to doing what you need. Why are you running away? Don't let your sin be the last word. Don't run from me, Jesus says. And then this final two words, follow me. And there it was. The very words Jesus has said to him at the start of their relationship, which made him drop his nets, walk away from the life he'd had and follow. Suddenly, again, that fire Oh, that only represented failure when he was there with the high priest and all his gang, now represented something brand new forgiveness and a second chance. And God offers that complete and total forgiveness to anybody who wants it. And when Jesus died, remember what he said He said, It is finished. It was finished. His last words there. He was saying, I paid the price for every sin, every failure, every mistake, every lie, every screw-up, including all of ours. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save and offer a new life. Now, you may have wondered if you could ever push the patience of God to his limit and suddenly get to that place where you never get another chance. Well, then ask yourself this question. I mean... Have you ever done anything that ranks up there with Peter's sin? I kind of doubt it. But even if you do, Jesus will meet you there. And what you fear the most is having to face him, stand up there with him, can be the most redeeming, powerfully life-changing moment ever. That's why they call it the gospel. That's why they call it good news. Because you will find out who God is, he's a God of forgiveness. A God of second chances, a God of new beginnings, no matter how many times that it's needed. I don't know about you, I've needed it many, many times. But God is faithful, even when we're all messed up. That's why we have the sign over the door that no perfect people really need to come here, because they're not going to fit in. But first things first, you've got to settle this one. This question that is asked is just so important. Do you really love him? Do you trust him? And are you willing to start over in a fresh new way? Oh, Father, thank you for your love for us. That even while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, you gave your life for us. You placed us in a totally different position because of your love so lord help us remember that help us never take this good news this gospel for granted help us recognize there's no one that's, that's beyond help or no one that has gone so far down a certain road they can never get back with you all things are possible to those who believe and we love you lord we thank you for this series of questions that we can take with us and begin to meditate on And to really come to terms with where things are in our relationship with you. Thank you for loving us so much, Father. Help us love you. Teach us about loving. Help us to be, only goal we have is to be just like you. We love you, Father. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.